Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians and chapter number 11. We're beginning a brand new series tonight dealing with what is called the Upper Room Discourse. The last night with Jesus Christ. That this is a Context is going to be in the gospel record of John, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And in those chapters, Jesus Christ knows that he is going to be headed to the cross within a matter of hours. So he pulls his disciples aside and they observe what is commonly called the Last Supper. He pulls the disciples out from the crowd. Remember that the church started with Christ and his disciples and they gathered together to for Jesus to give them instruction. After the Lord's Supper was done, Jesus took the disciples aside and began to instruct with them the last hours leading up to his arrest. And he begins to instruct them and begins to prepare them for the events that are about ready to come. And as we begin this series, we know that the events of John 13, 14, 15, and 16, 17 begin right after the Lord's Supper. So in order to start this in context and in chronological order, we have to start with the Lord's Supper to see what is happening and to see the elements that the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching throughout Scripture about the importance of this memorial supper. And so if you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 and if you don't mind notice with me in 1 Corinthians 11 and pick it up with me starting at verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 starting at verse 20 the word of God says this. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before his other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the same that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. 
But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread, and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you... If you don't mind, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11? 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, and notice the phrase in verse number 20, where it says, The Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. And with this, we're going to call it by a different name, the Memorial Supper. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We want to go over the elements of the Memorial Supper. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And we thank you again for how you love us, how you care for us. And we thank you that you explain things in your scripture to let us know exactly what you intended, to let us know what you meant by it, to let us know clearly what is the purpose of what you have set forth. We're asking that we would be faithful to your word, that we would be clear with your word, and that we could understand exactly how important this event is of the memorial supper, that we could do this in remembrance of you. Again, be with my lips, be with my thoughts. And let it be all be set for you, for your honor and your glory. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Once again, do something special tonight through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth from the city of Ephesus. And he has heard troubling news about this church. He has heard how this church has been responding in the flesh. He's been hearing about this church, how it's been responding in pride. And that he has to take the time through this epistle to write to the church of Corinth to explain to them how to do things correctly. And that they've misabused so many things. They haven't been exercising church discipline and they have even been misusing the Lord's Supper. Notice if you don't mind as the Apostle Paul he's not very happy. Notice as he's correcting this behavior starting at 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 11 uh, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 20 he's already given some uh, preamble coming into it talking about divisions and talking about uh, assembling together for this and again we know that the Lord's Supper is a local church ordinance meaning that it is given to the local church to observe and it's when they are to gather together to observe this. But pick this up in verse 20. When ye come together therefore into one place. This is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating everyone taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So what is happening in the church of Corinth at this time is that the people said, all right, tonight we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And the way that we do this around here is that it's bring your own supper. 
And so it's not even a potluck where you put it together and everyone shares. Everyone's supposed to bring their own supper. Now again, we've already covered that Corinth is doing things wrong. We're not teaching you how that we're supposed to do the Lord's Supper. We're showing you how not to do the Lord's Supper in this case. And so what is happening is that the church of Corinth has a lot of rich people. And it has a lot of poor people. And so what would happen is that some of the rich people in Corinth, they would say, all right, Lord's Supper time. And so let's gather together and let's feast. And so they would have a nice turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing. They would have uh, all the gravy, the fixings. They would be eating good. And they have a drumstick in a hand and said, let's do this. Let's do this in the name of Jesus. Meanwhile, you would have poor people within the church of Corinth who didn't have anything and they're bringing in what they measly have. Maybe a little biscuit. Maybe a little fish. Maybe some, some crumbs that they have. And, they, and what's happening at the church of Corinth. Is that the people sit with a drumstick in their hand. Big turkey thing saying. Alright this is great. Yes. Let's honor the Lord. And they're doing it out of pride. Whereas the poor people are watching this big dis, uh, display of pride. They're not thinking about honoring the Lord while they're watching the guy with the big drumstick while their bellies are rumbling. And this is not going well. And the Apostle Paul hears about this, how they're misusing the Lord's Supper. And he's saying, this is not what the Lord's Supper is for. Don't you have houses to go eat at? You're not here to fill your bellies. This is not what Jesus intended. He says, in fact, let me tell you what Jesus intended. And what he does in the preceding verses is he begins to explain the elements of the memorial supper, of the Lord's Supper, and say, this is what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be. He's already corrected and said, this is not what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be. But instead, let me tell you what the elements of the Lord's Supper represent. Let me tell you what we're looking for. Let me tell you how to do this correctly. And so if you don't mind, I would like to take some time from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, and I'd like to describe the elements of the Lord's Supper and why we do what we do and what is intended by this. The very first thing I'd like to show you in this passage is that the memorial supper, it is commemorative. It is commemorative. If you don't mind, notice with me in the verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 24. And when he, this is Jesus, in fact let's hit verse 23 for context sake. For I have received of the Lord that also which I delivered unto you. The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in this, the very first thing that we see about the Memorial Supper is that it is commemorative. It is commemorative. What does that mean? This is to be done as a memorial service to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. You know what Jesus Christ did for us? That Jesus Christ was God and he robed himself in flesh. And he came down on this earth and lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then Jesus Christ, 
is going to be betrayed by a close friend. He is going to be put on a false trial. What's going to happen to the Lord Jesus Christ is that he's going to be found guilty at an illegal trial. He's going to be brought up to the Romans because the Jewish people, the Hebrew people at this time, did not have the power inside of Jerusalem to kill someone. So they gave it over to the Roman government. The Roman government put him on trial. And Pilate did not find anything wrong. But he understood that the Jewish people were ready to riot. So in order to satisfy their bloodlust, Pilate took a scourge, which is a big whip with what we would call a cat of nine tails. It would have nine straps on it. And at the very end of the straps, they would have hooks, rocks, glass, something. And what would happen, according to the first century historian Josephus, is that they would take that whip and they would whip it across the bare back of the victim. And the hooks and the glass would catch into the skin and rip that skin up. Josephus, the historian, said that after one lash, you could take your finger and actually touch the bone of someone who was just scourged. And what happened to Jesus Christ is they took that lash and they beat him. And they beat him. And they beat him. And they beat him. Until his back was in shreds and it would look similar to hamburger meat. He took that beating for your sins and for mine. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You see, God knew everything. And God knew that Jesus had to not just die, but his blood had to have been shed in order for us to have forgiveness of sins. In order for us to have the payment paid for, Jesus' blood had to have been shed. And Jesus' blood was spilt that day. It was pouring all over. But it was not done. Pilate, in order to satisfy the masses, his thinking was that if they could show Jesus and show him a bloody mess, that the people would see the blood, they would be appalled, and they would no longer want Jesus to die. Pilate actually scourged Jesus in order to save his life. And so what they did is they put a robe on Jesus Christ and they put him before the crowds and said, here is the man. Do you want us to let him go? And the crowd started to shout under the prompting of the priest, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they were not satisfied with just the blood shed. They also wanted his body broken. They wanted him to die. And so they took Jesus Christ back. Now remember he had that robe over his wounds. And that blood began to coagulate on that robe. And what happened is they ripped off that rope. And it reopened those wounds afresh. 
And then they played games with Jesus Christ. They would put a hood over his face. And they would bring him through the Roman soldiers. And the Roman soldiers would take their hand and buffet him on the face. And then dare tell to the God who knows all, who is it that struck you? Who is it that hit you? They took the mask off. Or the, and then they took his beard and they ripped it out. For a Jewish person, a Hebrew man, the beard was a symbol of masculinity, of teaching, of wisdom. And they just yanked that beard out, pulling some of the flesh along with it. They took a, a crown of thorns, which wasn't little tiny burrs, but big, thick, long uh, spikes. And they hammered it on his head and said, here's the king. And they made fun of our Lord and Savior. You see, his blood was shed because of your sin and mine. His body was broken because of our sin. The Bible talks about in the book of Isaiah chapter 53. It says, if you don't mind, may I read it to you really quick? You don't have to turn there. But may I read you some of what the book of Isaiah says in Isaiah 53? Isaiah 53, it talks about Jesus' suffering up on the cross. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53 in verse number uh, 4, Surely he borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. That Jesus Christ, he paid our sin debt. You see, this is why the Memorial Supper is such an important thing. This is why the Memorial Supper is such a somber thing. Because it reminds us it was my sins that put him on the cross. He paid for my iniquities. And it is only by his shed blood and his sacrifice at Calvary that allowed us to have our forgiveness of sins. But let me tell you, dear friend, it wasn't over yet. The next was they put Jesus up on the cross. And when they put a man up on the cross, they would nail his feet together on a platform. Then what they would do is they would nail his hands. Now back in the ancient world, the wrist was considered part of the hand. It could not be nailed directly into the palm where you would consider the hand. It's, the bones there are not strong enough to support someone's weight. If it's nailed there, it would just rip off. So they would nail him to the wrist. And inside of the wrist is the most sensitive nerve in all the body. It's the median nerve that goes all the way through the edge of your elbow. If you hit the edge of your elbow just right, you get that tingling up in your arm. We call it the funny bone, but it doesn't feel very funny when you hit it. But that nerve goes right through the wrist. And so when they nailed his hands to the cross... It nailed right through that Midian nerve. And the tingling and the pain that would go through that as that nerve is cut through would be excruciating. Then they would put someone up on the cross. Now normally when someone died on the cross, they died of asphyxiation, meaning the lack of oxygen to the rest of their body. Because when they were nailed to the cross, 
Their natural position is that they would be slumped over and their chest would be caved in. And in order to get a good breath, the person would have to use their hands and lift with their legs and take a breath and they would slump back over. But remember that Jesus did not suffer like a normal man. He was beaten like no man had been beaten. And excruciated with Jesus Christ. Not only was he scourged. He was also put up on the cross. Most people put on the cross were not scourged. And when they put him on the cross. It wasn't nice smooth wood like this. It wasn't sanded down. But it would be equivalent to what we would say a railroad uh, tie. One of those big things on a railroad. Um, on a railroad. The big plank. With all the spikes and the woods and the splinter. And the slivers. And so to take a breath, Jesus would have to lift up with his legs, pull up with his hands. It would, that nail would twist on those bones to grind them some more and twist that nerve even more. But those wood splinters would dive into his open back, diving more into the pain that he had. At the same time, Jesus Christ had lost so much blood that what the medical condition for this would be hypervolemic shock. That he would have a, a hypovolemic shock. Meaning that he had a lack of blood flow. So much blood came out that he was actually suffering through uh, low blood. This is why he was thirsty. He said, I thirst. Now what happens medically when you go to hypovolemic shock is that in order to get blood to the rest of your body, your heart has to beat harder. To try to get what little blood it has. But as it's pumping harder. It's pumping more blood outside of your body. Now because the heart is beating so hard. That what happened is that it's causing a lot of friction. And the periocardial sac. Which goes over the heart. Actually fills up with fluid to try to ease the friction. But the more fluid it has. The more that it squeezes on the heart. And now the more that the heart has to beat. Just to get out more blood until finally that periocardial sac was so filled with fluid it would not let the heart beat anymore. What was the official diagnosis of Jesus' death? He died of a broken heart. He died of a broken heart because of your sins and for mine. Jesus' blood was shed and not only was a shed, Jesus Christ had to have died. And Jesus Christ died. He didn't pass out. He didn't swoon. He didn't faint. He died. He was put in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, miracle of miracles, Christ is the victory. He rose again. And when he rose again, it proved two things. It proved, first of all, that Jesus was God. It also proved that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. But when we come to the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What are we supposed to remember? His death on the cross for my sins. You see, when we observe the memorial supper, it is not to fill our bellies. When we observe the memorial supper, it's not a gee whiz tradition. It is a time where we reflect my sins, put my Savior on the cross. He died for my sins. What we do during this time is we reflect 
on how awful all sin is. It doesn't matter if it's a little lie. You know what the penalty of a little lie is? Death. You know how you receive forgiveness for that little lie? Jesus had to die on the cross. You say, well, I just disobeyed my folks once. That makes you a sinner. And you know what had to have happened in order to give you forgiveness of sins? Jesus had to have died on the cross. It doesn't matter what sin. The penalty of sin is death. Jesus had to have died. So when we observe the Lord's Supper, this is a very serious time. Jesus said once again in verse 24, And when he, Jesus, had given thanks, he brake it, this is the bread, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. That Jesus Christ, his body was broken. His blood was shed for our sins. And we don't take this lightly. This is a very serious, somber time where we reflect that it was my sins that he died for. As we continue on, and we're talking about the elements of the Lord's Supper, of the elements of the Memorial Supper, that we understand that first of all, it's done commemorative. It is commemorative. We do this in remembrance of him. It is also, second thing, it is pictorial. It is pictorial. Basically, it's like snapping a picture. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 26. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. You know what the elements of the Lord's Supper, it shows us, it is a picture of Jesus' death. You guys know what a picture is. There is a difference between having my wife live here with me in having a picture of my wife. That picture may be a good likeness, but it is not her. This is the same thing. This is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. When we take of the cup and we eat the bread, it is a picture that Jesus' body was broken. His blood was shed. This is just a picture. Just like baptism, the other <laughs> ordinance that God gave to the local church, is it's a picture that Jesus died and was buried and that he rose again. When somebody follows the Lord and believers baptism, they are saying, I trusted the Lord. This is what God did for me, that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. Both the Lord's Supper and baptism are pictures of Jesus Christ's death. That Jesus died for us on our behalf. That we understand the Lord's Supper, it is commemorative. It is also pictorial. Something else about the Lord's Supper, and this is good stuff. That not only is it commemorative, not only is it pictorial, it is prophetic. Most people don't think about that. That the Lord's Supper is prophetic. What do we mean by prophetic? Well, notice with me verse 26 again. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. 
You know, when we observe the Lord's Supper, we are also testifying to the world that we believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. That we serve a risen Savior. That He's coming back to do what He promised He was going to do. That we, by faith, when we observe the memorial supper, we are also expressing our faith that Jesus Christ is coming again. That Jesus Christ is going to fulfill the promises He gave to us. That we know that the Lord's Supper, the elements of it, it is commemorative. It is pictorial. It is prophetic. But notice something else as we hit uh, verses 23 and 25 through 25 again. I want you to see this. It is also symbolic. It is symbolic. Notice if you don't mind verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it. And so what does he have in his hand? He's not taking a piece of his arm and say, here you go, disciples. He has a piece of bread. And, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, he took the cup. And when he had supped, so what was in the cup? Was it blood? It was not. This is symbolic. They are pictures. This cup is a New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. We see that it is also symbolic. What do we mean by this? That when we observe the Lord's table here, we did not get a sale on the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't buy the blood of Jesus Christ from the store. You don't call it from heaven and God sends you a case of Jesus' blood. We are using grape juice. It is a picture. When we take of the bread, we did not uh, ask Jesus to give us some of his flesh and we cooked it up and fried it and everyone gets to practice cannibalism. No, these are pictures. We are not eating Jesus. They are pictures. They are symbols to remind us who Jesus Christ is. Now, the reason why we say that is because there are other Christian religions who actually believe differently. For example, our Catholic friends believe in something called consubstantiation. What they mean is they actually believe that the bread and the cup is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That our Catholic friends believe that when you're eating that cracker, it's not a cracker, it's the actual body of Jesus Christ. They teach their followers that when you drink the cup, it is actually the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, I did not find that cell. We're not going to eat Jesus. This is a symbol, a picture. Our Lutheran friends believe in something called transubstantiation. They believe that it's a cracker until you put it in your mouth. Then it magically becomes Jesus Christ's body. That when you take the cup, it's natural grape juice until you drink it. And then it supernaturally becomes the blood of Jesus Christ. We do not believe that either. We believe these are just symbols, pictures representing who Jesus is. Now because they are symbols and because they're pictures, we believe that they are also symbolic and that they need to be the pictures of Jesus Christ, the symbols of him even in his purity. Meaning that even the elements that we take should be a picture of Jesus Christ, a symbol of him. What do I mean by this? Well, hold your finger here and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. Just a couple pages back. The Apostle Paul is doing a lot of correcting. And earlier in chapter 5, he is correcting 
the idea that they have not been observing church discipline. And he is saying, you need to take care of this. And as he's moving forward, still talking the context of church, he now goes back and briefly touches about the elements of the Lord's table. And notice with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. It says, purge out therefore the old Leaven. Now that word leaven is very important. Purge out the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened for even Christ our Passover is sacrifice for us. Therefore let us keep the feast. Now it's talking about the Lord's table there. The feast not with old leaven neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now that word leaven is a picture of sin in the Bible, but in literal sense, the word leaven is what we would call yeast. For example, we have some bakers in here that when you go make your own bread, in order to make bread rise, you have to add another ingredient called yeast. That yeast causes the bread to rise. That word yeast is what the Bible word calls leaven. That you have to add something to it to make it change form. This is leaven or yeast. And so the Bible says that in order to be the picture of Jesus Christ. The symbol of picture. That it has to be pure. That means there could be no leaven inside of the cracker. That's why we use cracker and we don't use bread. Because it is a picture of the purity of Jesus Christ. The same thing is true dealing with the fruit of the vine. The cup. Nowhere in any passage dealing with the Lord's table does it ever use the word wine. But even if it did, it wouldn't bother us too much. The word wine carries the idea of freshly squeezed grape juice in most cases. But the Bible goes to great lengths to separate itself that it never says the word wine associated to any passage of the Lord's table. It uses the phrase the fruit of of the vine, the cup of the vine, which carries the specific picture of freshly squeezed grape juice. And you say, why is this important? Well, in order to make grape juice into wine, you have to add, once again, an impure element called yeast or leaven. And so we would use grape juice as a picture of the purity of Jesus Christ because he has no leaven, no sin found within him. So again, we're taking time to explain the elements of the Lord's Supper, that it all points to Jesus Christ, that it is commemorative. We do this in remembrance of him. It is pictorial. It is picturing Jesus' death. It is prophetic. It reminds us that Jesus Christ is coming soon and that we're looking forward to his imminent return. We also know that the Lord's table, it is symbolic. It is not the actual body and blood of Jesus, but it is a picture and that even in the elements, it needs to be the picture of purity that Jesus Christ is. There's one more thing dealing with the elements of the memorial supper and that it is that it is also purifying. It is purifying. Notice with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as the apostle Paul finishes up this segment here and notice with me in verse 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord, notice this next word, unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood 
of the Lord. Now when we come to this word unworthily, we know that in a sense we're all unworthy. We are all sinners. But this is not dealing with the idea of are you a sinner. It is carrying the idea of any unconfessed sin. Any undealt with sin. You see, the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to purify the church. We know that the two ordinances that God gave the church are the <coughs> baptism and the memorial supper. The purpose of baptism is to make a church pure. What do we mean by that? That with the baptism, in order for someone to get baptized, they have to be saved. They have to know for sure that their sins are forgiven because of the shed blood of Jesus. They had to personally ask God for that free gift that he offered them before they could get baptized. Baptism doesn't save anybody. It doesn't wash away your sins. It is a picture of what Jesus Christ has already done for you. And for someone to be a member of the church, they have to first be baptized. So what that means is that the only people to be members of the church are people who are saved, born again. Well, with the Lord's Supper, the other ordinance of the local church is that it is to keep a church pure, that it is already made up of saved membership, that the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to remind us that our sin is awful. It is nasty and Jesus died for it and that we need to remember that all our sin is awful. And we need to take the time to examine ourselves. we'll get to that in the next verse, to see if there's any unconfessed or undealt with sin. And if there's any sin that needs to be taken care of, we take care of it now before we observe the Lord's Supper. Notice as it goes on in the next verse, verse number 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of the cup. So what is our response? We're to examine ourselves. We're to search it out and give God permission. God, if there's any sin in my life, maybe I don't even realize it's sin. Maybe it's something that, that I haven't dealt with, that God, I give you permission to examine my life and to point out if there's anything that needs to be fixed. What this does to a local church is it has people who are right with God. So God could lead that church. This is both elements are to keep a church healthy. To keep it pure. Notice in verse 29. Now we get serious. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily. Eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Not discerning the Lord's body. What does this mean? It means that if there's someone in here tonight that has some unconfessed sin, maybe you have a habit of sin that you know that you keep going back to and you don't deal with it, the Bible says that you are guilty of the Lord's blood. Guilty of his body. Why? Jesus died to forgive you of all your sins. Why go back to the thing that Jesus died for? He died so you don't have to sin anymore. He died so you don't have to, to be wallowing in your sin anymore. And then if you say, I don't care, God, I'm going to keep my sin, and you observe the Lord's Supper, you are in dangerous, dangerous ground. How dangerous ground are you? Notice if you don't mind in verse 30. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you. For what cause? For taking the Lord's Supper unworthily. Not making sure, having unconfessed or undealt with sin in your life when you observe the Lord's Supper. Now some people would say, wait, 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 wait. 
well, then I'm just not going to take the Lord's Supper. No, that's not the purpose of it either. The purpose of it is for you to get right with God. To examine yourselves and to make sure there's nothing in the way between you and the Savior. But if someone chooses to thumb their nose at the Lord and say, I don't care, I like my sin and I'm not going to get rid of it, then the Bible says that he has allowed some to be weak and some to be sickly. There are some people who have sickness because of the Lord's Supper. But that's not all. Notice as it goes on. And many sleep. Remember in the Bible, the word sleep is a kind Bible way of saying they're dead. Do you know that God can kill people for being rebellious during the Lord's Supper? And say, I want my sin. I want my sin more than getting right with God. You understand this is a very serious thing. You understand this is why we take a service to explain the Lord's Supper. And explain the elements because we don't want anyone. We want people to realize how serious of a thing this is. This is a serious thing between you and the Lord. And you need to make sure that there's no unconfessed sin. Unundealt with sin. This is your chance to talk to God. And to give him permission to take the spotlight of his Holy Spirit. And to examine yourself to see if there's anything that needs to be dealt with. To give him permission to point things out. And you to get it right. You see this is a very important thing. This is a purifying event. God wants us to be right with him. And the Bible continues on. In the next couple of verses he closes it out. But these are the elements of the Lord's table. That this is something done for the local church. It is done for the health and purity of the church. To make sure those who are members are saved. And for those who are members are right with God. So God can direct the church, his church, the way that he sees fulfilled. And if people are saved and right with God, they could seek God's face. God could guide them and direct them. This is what God wants. And this is why it's good to do this as oft as you observe the Lord's Supper. This is one of our times that we're doing it now. It's for the health of our church is to give time to examine ourselves, for you to remember how awful sin really is and that God hates your sin and it is exceedingly awful the book of Romans talks about. And hopefully you see your sin right now as exceedingly awful. But the good news is God says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That verse says that if you confess your sins. Remember, when you confess, you're not telling on yourself. God already knows. When you confess, you're just agreeing with God with what he already says. God, I confess this sin. I agree with you that this is sin. Help me to deal with it. Give me the grace to deal with it. Now, what we're going to do in just a moment is we're going to give an invitation. And during this invitation, we invite you to come and examine yourself. We want you to take your time. Allow God to have time to search in your life. Give him permission and deal business with God. Deal with your sin Work with it. See if there's anything that needs to be confessed. Anything that God points out. Maybe you don't even know it's sin, but God points it out and said that. 
and you're allowed to get it right. Maybe there's something that may be not sin, but it's in the way of you serving God. It's in the way of you being led by God. Allow him to point it out and then ask God for bravery and courage to deal with whatever that is. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.